Hello and welcome to episode 8 of Growth Funny Talks. With me, David Gregory, where I speak with entrepreneurs and experts on startup, business and personal growth. On the upcoming episode, I spoke with Michael Cheng, the founder and CEO of Snipply, a tool that allows you to add a custom call to action to links you share. Mike told me about starting his first company at 14 years old and how he has since gone on to found several companies in various industries, including Snipply. Snipply is a great example of building a product through customer development, as Mike told me the story of how Snipply was created after posting the idea on forums and building it based on the customer feedback they received. You'll also learn how they built their user base up to 50,000 users and why they put so much effort into building a relationship with them. If you have any questions or feedback for me, you can get in touch by emailing me on hello at growthfunny.com and the show notes will be available on growthfunny.com. Enjoy the show. Hello, Mike. Welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thank you very much for having me. No worries at all. So you are the founder and CEO of Snipply. Is that right? That's correct. Um, obviously, you know, not just Snipply, you've done a number of different things. Um, you know, you founded many companies. Could you tell me when was the first company that you founded and, you know, what others have you founded on your journey to, you know, becoming the founder of Snipply too? Yeah, quite a few. Uh, I'm 25 this year. I think I started my first company when I was 14 or 15, really, really young and, and getting together with a few friends. Um, and we started this kind of car trading company very early on, and we made a little bit of profits. But looking back now, it was relatively small scale, but it got me started on, um, I guess, a taste of entrepreneurship. And what I really like about it is the, the creative problem solving and really being able to dive into different situations. And since then, I've um, started companies across financial sectors, uh, products, fashion, uh, entertainment industry, ultimately to what I started last year, which is Snipply, currently a, a marketing software that we've developed to help um, businesses of all sizes really to leverage the potential for growth on social media and online marketing. And you know, from working on so many different projects and businesses, um, what, the, what are the learnings from that and you know, how do you manage to keep focused? Right. I think um, I'm a firm believer that innovation lies at the intersection of different industries. So one thing that I've always noticed is, you know, if you spend too much time in a single industry, you tend to become almost narrow focused and see things the way that the conventions of the industry has defined uh, long before you set foot in that market. But when you're jumping from sectors to sectors, oftentimes you can bring learnings from one area to another. Perhaps the marketing world does a certain kind of thing that the entertainment industry sees differently or the auto industry has a different tradition for. Um, and what I've found really helpful is when I bring the insights from a different industry into a new market, a lot of times that spawns innovation, new ways of doing things, new ways of thinking. Uh, and that's what I've done for a lot of the businesses that I've participated in is you know, introducing new business models that I've seen working previously in other markets or introducing new ideas, new approaches to solve problems that may be unconventional within a single industry. But because I've seen several throughout my career, it's allowed me to see things from a bigger picture perspective and borrow ideas and inspirations from other fields of expertise. Uh, and I think that's kind of 
one of the more crucial things um, in my entrepreneurial career specifically because I really focus on innovation. When I start a new company, um, something has to be different for me that I, I have to bring to the market something that's not currently being done. Uh, and the innovation has to be substantial enough that it's noteworthy. And a lot of times that does come from the creativity and the perspective that I've picked up along the way. And can you give an example of where you've combined you know, different industries to create something innovative? Yeah, sure. So um, one company I started, Witty Cookie, which was a web design agency, and that's as, as generic as it gets, you know, developing websites with a, a, few, of, uh, a few of my friends that we first started. But I, I had done some work in the telecom industry, and the innovation with Witty Cookie specifically was in the pricing model. What I saw was that you know, to get a website, you're going to have to pay a designer a couple thousand dollars, maybe an agency upwards of $10,000 for a website. But there's a lot of uh, small business owners, individual freelancer contractors who also need websites but may not necessarily be able to afford one. Uh, so we borrowed the pricing model from the telecom company. If you think of how cell phones work, you can sign a, a term contract that give you a free phone and you pay a small monthly fee um, and you know you get your data plan, you get your phone and text message, and so we created that experience, that telecom pricing plan experience in the web design industry. You essentially get your website for free, just like your phone, uh, in exchange for a term contract, and you pay as little as twenty dollars a month for web services for your business. And so that that actually worked out really well, and uh, it's it's a little more common now. We started the company about four years ago. Since then, a lot of similar companies have come up after we've proven the model. But I think it's a great example of taking to an industry a new perspective, doing things a different way. It's not always about innovating the service. You can also innovate the business. How do you introduce a different way of pricing the business, logistics, the way you deliver the service? And we've been playing around with different ways to approach the problem ever since. But you know, it started with that core inspiration of how do we turn an industry that's traditionally buy and sell for websites into a more of a subscription model where there's a service involved and people pay recurring models and it's more affordable because you decrease the upfront costs. So that's definitely a good example of how, how you can take one industry's learnings and insights into another. And would you say, you know, of course you, you are very much an entrepreneur, but what you know, what sort of uh, realm would you say that you 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 stray towards? Are, you know, are you more of a marketer, um, are you an engineer, um, a product guy, or you know, a combination of everything? So I've definitely dabbled in uh, all of those areas um, by by trade, by study. I'm, I'm a designer, so you know, my educational background has a has a creative touch to it. And I would say that I, I definitely lean towards the ideation, the marketing, business development, the the creative side. I guess if you were to divide business into a couple of sectors, um, I, I would side with the part that requires problem-solving creativity. And that's oftentimes not engineering in a sense where I dive deep into the code, um, but you know, more on the intellectual and conceptual side of running a business. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, Snipply. Um, it's one of my favorite tools, uh, as you know, and I think I would describe it as a link shortener, which you can add a custom call to action to, um, mm -hmm. and someone will see that if they click on the link. 
Right. Um, is there anything that you know you would add to that? Yeah, just to give you a brief background on that, uh, and the way we came up with that idea was uh, at a previous startup. You know, uh, as with most companies, I share content. Uh, not everybody has the budget to hire a bunch of writers to produce content for the blog. So content curation and sharing is a huge part of driving engagement on social media. Uh, and one day I was asked, you know, what's your return on investment for all the time you spend sharing other people's content? And to my surprise, I, I didn't have an answer. You know, I do spend a lot of time sifting through content, curating, sharing uh, but there wasn't a solid conversion rate. I didn't know what my return on investment was. So we set out to build a product that introduces the concept of conversion, create a conversion opportunity and shared content. And as you've mentioned, Snipply does just that. And it allows you to share content. But instead of just sharing the link, you can insert your own call to action, linking back to your own website or destination page so that when visitors are visiting your shared content, there's a chance and opportunity for them to engage with your brand and go back to your marketing campaign or download your app, fill out your contact form. And that's how the idea came about. And where are you currently um, with Snipply? You know, how, many, how many users have you got? Um, you know, what's your next growth goal? And you know, what's the ultimate mission for Snipply? Yeah, so we're at about 50,000 users, uh, and it's really interesting time for us because we're, we're now starting to tap into uh, a few enterprise companies that have taken a lot of interest in what we've built. Mm-hmm. So we haven't, you know, it hasn't been a long time since we came up with the idea. We launched about last, let's say, April or May, so it's under a year. Um, and the 50,000 users for us gave us a lot of insights as to the need of the market and what direction we should build towards. And that ultimately led us to these enterprise opportunities. Um, and what we're seeing is that uh, I think businesses of all kinds, all sectors, all industries of all sizes are struggling to find a way to capture the value of their digital reach. And when I say digital reach, I'm including um, you know, email subscribers, followers, fans on Facebook, Pinterest, Twitter, wherever it may be. You, know, you have thousands of followers, but what does it mean? How do you engage them? And how do you, how do you, through content curation and sharing activities, capture their attention to convert them to your business goals? And that's the larger problem that we're dealing with here is how do we help people do that? And I think it's more than just inserting call to actions um, our, our grand idea is customized link experience. It's taking control over the links that you share. Uh, and that spans not just the visual component of the call to action, but also analytics. Uh, for example, before if you were to share an article from New York Times, you're not going to have any analytical access as to what your followers are doing on New York Times because it's not your website. But with a service like Snipply, you can actually start to track things like bounce rates, average time on sites, uh, how many pages are they visiting after they proceed through your link? Again, allowing you to better understand your audience and how they're responding to the types of content that you're sharing. Um, and that's just the beginning. I think there's a lot of opportunities there for us when it comes to taking ownership of your link and almost being able to treat third-party content as your own, being able to create custom experiences, analyze performances, and so forth. And how did you get those, you know, let's say, let's look at it as, you know, the first 1,000 users uh, and then, you know, the first, then the next 10,000 users uh, and then up to the 50,000 user point? All right. 
Um, I think it's important to note that, you know, a lot of people think growth and marketing, it costs a lot of money, you got to raise a lot of funding. We actually got to our 50,000 users without spending a single dollar in marketing. Um, and it's important to me because I, I think, you know, a lot of people start a company and the first thing they do is build an ad budget and they pump the Google ads. I actually think that can be damaging for a business. Uh, what we did from the beginning is always just to focus on a few core users. We wanted to get our first 50 users, maybe 100, um, really, really keep up the communication with them. And you probably saw this as well. You know, We're extremely responsive from day one. Communication is a huge thing for us. Uh, our first handful of, I would say our first dozen, uh, we got them off of online forums on places like Reddit, Hacker News, and Product Hunt where we posted the idea and essentially started a discussion, you know, asking people, here's what we're thinking of building, what do you think? And we stayed in very close touch with those people from the early days and really shaped the product based on our first handful of users. Um, and then over time, that, that developed as those that handful began writing about us. Um, so as of today, you'll, you'll find over 100 blogs, industry marketing blogs, talking about Snipply or reviewing Snipply as a product. And I would say that started off uh, with a handful of users who then spiraled off into our first couple hundred users. Um, and as you can imagine, the evergreen content has been driving traffic to us every single day ever since. And they, they kind of have a compound effect. Um, and I would say that's how we got our first thousand users. Uh, eventually we hit a few, few important influencers, um, like uh, a quick sprout, which is a big social media marketing publication, also social media examiner, and those two pieces, um, including mentions of Snipply in their publications, also drove a ton of traffic and continues to drive signups till today. And I would say that's the, the point where we really reached 10,000 users, and that was completely almost through organic. Um, organic publications, I guess you would say. These would be users who use our product, liked us enough to write about us, to write a product review, to share it on on our behalf, really. Uh, and then from 10,000 to 50,000, I think is largely referral. Uh, and I think it, it has a, a huge role that's played in, in that referral and virality is really goes back to communication. We've really taken the time to build relationships with every single one of our users reaching out to them, asking them how they're doing. Uh, and we find that that's extremely important when it comes to word of mouth because, you know, you can't look at a product and say, well, it's a piece of technology, they, they take it or leave it. Because at the end of the day, when you're doing software as a service, there is a service component to it. And we've always really, really valued the service and communication component quite a lot. And that's allowed us to build the relationships we needed to, to really fuel that virality. Um, and I think it's important, especially in today's product market, is it's not good enough to just put a product out there and you know come up with an ad budget and try to make it work. I think there is a large component of how do the users associate with the founders of the company, um, how do they feel about the direction of the product, uh, and I think that all plays a role in helping people decide whether or not they want to tell one friend about it or two friends about it, or ten friends about it. And that's that's, that's a very, very brief summary of how we got to our 50,000 users. And I, I had a look, obviously, on, on the website and saw that you have on your team, you know, a few people listed as growth guys. 
mm-hmm. what what does you know what do they do um, for Snipply and you know what are the sort of challenges and tasks that they're working on at the moment? Right. So I think our definition of growth uh, is a little different from some of the other companies. So when we say growth, we don't necessarily mean marketing, and I think that's one of the reasons why we. We don't say marketing, and I think growth is very different from the traditional marketing rule, where you are looking at ad budgets and you know event planning of the sorts. Uh, at a startup stage, growth is more all-encompassing than that. It's the general mandate is how do we grow the company, and that spans between how do we develop the right features so that we can fit in a new demographic, or how do we. Um, you know, what kind of security systems are in place allowing us to attract a certain type of enterprise. So growth can actually be uh, extremely broad from that sense, and it really varies month to month depending on the focus of our company. Um, For example, right now, our current definition of growth is how do we involve content publishers more into into the Snipply ecosystem. So, for example, let's say I run a blog, um, uh, you know, how would I know who is snipping my page and what's the performance of those snips? And maybe I can also identify the, the visitors or the followers who are driving me the most traffic. Um, so as a result of that insights, our growth team has been developing a couple of feature sets, uh, which is going to amount to a content, uh, a publisher dashboard where you can log in and access uh, an archive of every snip that's pointing towards your page, how they're performing, the amount of traffic that Snipply is driving you on a on a monthly basis. And so that's that's an idea of you know that's an example of how we see growth. How do we expand into the publisher market? How do we build relationships with them? Here's the feature sets that are required to do that, and then we then pass it on to engineering and development to actually make those features reality. In moving to you know, 100,000 users, a million users, whatever your target may be, do you plan to continue to grow, you know, organically or are there other other methods and sort of strategies that you, you're trying out at the moment? I think um, organically is is a good way to go. I think when you reach a certain critical mass where you have diminishing returns on your organic efforts, it's important to start looking for scalable marketing channels. You know, how do we multiply our 500,000 users into 5 million? I think at that point, it's important to start looking to more traditional marketing channels. Um, at this point, you know, 50,000 users under a year old, I think it's still really important for us to focus on on organic reach and partly because organic reach forces your team to build a good product organic reach essentially implies that you know it's it's more quality focused it's it's more word of mouth and referral and it forces you to get the product right otherwise the product isn't going to grow um, whereas you can pump a lot of ad dollars get a lot of signups but they may not necessarily reflect healthy retentions uh, or churn in the long run, and so uh, I would say, you know, up to maybe even five hundred thousand users, we'd be focusing on on, on organic reach specifically. Uh, and again, that's that's so broad what that can entail. It can cover everything from marketing stunts to being able to pull off new new product features and an exact plan. We never really map out. We 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 adopt the philosophy of more of a adaptation evolution, really taking situations as 
as they come and making the most out of it because things are changing all the time, especially in the technology space. New software, new open source code is available every single day, and we really have to have um, kind of the nimble nature of a startup to be able to navigate through all that. And are there any resources or books or, you know, it could be anything at all that you find invaluable, um, you know, to learn more about, you know, marketing or startups or, you know, business in general? Um, I, I personally believe that startups are more about the the people behind the company. So I'm talking about the, the co-founding team, because um, they drive the decisions. And I think it's more important to understand why they made the decisions that they did as opposed to just understanding the decisions themselves. To give you an example, a lot of people read things like, here are five things you need to do to grow your company. And they're, they're relatively surface-level advice. But I think what's more important is how did the founders behind those companies come up with those five things that you should do? Uh, so in that sense, I... I, I recommend reading a lot of biographies of entrepreneurs that have done well um even you know modern day entrepreneurs biographies of steve jobs bill gates um you know mark zuckerberg elon musk uh those are some of my favorites in understanding their upbringing the way they see the world uh and i think you know a lot of times people read business books and not necessarily biographies but it's the people that builds the business so understanding the people in my opinion, is, is crucial to be able to become a good entrepreneur. So what would you say have been the biggest influences on your thinking as an entrepreneur? I don't know if there's a single biggest influence, so to say, or I can't really pinpoint a single influence. Um, but I think the kind of story of my career has a lot to do with perspective. So by nature, it's 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 difficult for me to pinpoint a single major influence because I, I look up to so many different things, which is what's led me into so many different industries, so many different perspectives and approaches. Um, but that's just my approach. I, I can't pinpoint for you a single major influential source so much as that you know, I've, I've tried to dabble in many, many things. Uh, and that's how I've ended up doing what I'm doing. Cool. We'll come back to personal stuff in a minute. I've just got a couple more questions um, on the sort of content side. I mean, you know, what tips and advice uh, do you have for anyone trying to get the most impact in sharing and distributing their content? Um, I think I think content curation, as we mentioned earlier, is is really impactful, and I'm I'm really seeing that this year. Is uh, you know if. Yeah, I have a couple thousand dollars, a couple thousand people on uh, followers on Facebook and Twitter, and it's really hard to pump out my own content. So, you know, of course, when I write a blog post, I'm gonna I'm gonna send it and share it, but I I can't release blog posts once a day. I might do it once every few weeks, and that's not very engaging. Uh, you look at a place like Twitter where you post an update and it almost disappears within the first five minutes on anybody's news feeds. So it's important to keep that activity level going. Um, what I've been doing in the recent past, and it's kind of been working, is uh, you know I share content even upwards of three to four times a day. And that might sound like a lot, um, but that's only a lot if you are promoting your own product or advertising something that nobody actually wants to read. Uh, when you're sharing engaging content, people don't seem to mind. And I, I'm willing to bet that if I were to share 10 to 20 articles per day on social media, it would still be okay as long as they're interesting. 
Um, and uh, of course, I, I the reason we built Snipply is so we can introduce a conversion opportunity to curation. So I, I use Snipply for the three to four articles that I share per day. And so far for our brand, at least, we're seeing about a 16% conversion rate on um, shared content clicks, which I think has been really working. So I, I'd employ everyone to really consider content curation uh, as a more core part of their strategy um, and that's just the simple act of finding relevant articles that your viewers or your audience are receptive to. And the reason why I believe is important is because I think the way we consume content has fundamentally changed over the years. Uh, you know, five to 10 years ago, maybe if you want to read New York Times, you would actually subscribe to New York Times. But today, our subscription is to our friends and family. If you recall the last five or 10 articles that you've read, it was probably from your Facebook newsfeed or Twitter newsfeed. Uh, and the social component of content delivery has fundamentally changed, making what you do on social media, the types of links that you share much more important than ever before. So uh, that would be a tip that I would, uh, that I would encourage for everyone to look into is content curation. Yeah, that's a great point. And then other than Snipply, what other tools do you use and recommend? I use a, a bunch of tools um, for scheduling. I personally use Buffer. You know, I would pick out a you know, bulks and dozens of articles to share. And of course, it wouldn't be very time efficient if I have to wake up at 10 a.m. every single day and then, you know, wake up at 3 a.m. every single day to share content, especially with an international audience. Um, Buffers allowed us to schedule these posts for them to go out at designated times. Uh, and, you know, we built an integration with them as well. So I use Snipply with Buffer quite often. Um, there's quite a few other tools that I've, I've played around with Hootsuite as well, which I think is great for monitoring social relationships. Um, there, are, there are also tools out there that suggest contents, and you can probably Google that one because I use a combination of multiple of them, um, and that they, they essentially recommend content for you to share. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's also worked quite well, and there's so many of them out there, and you can probably pick up any one. And I know they work better for different industries depending on which product it is, so it's, it really comes down to experimentation. Um, on the customer service side, we use Zendesk for handling any customer report and also Intercom for managing in-app communications. Um, and those two have been very important to our growth as well. As I mentioned earlier, to me, growth has a lot to do with the quality of service and product. Uh, and Zendesk and Intercom has allowed us to deliver the level of service that we needed to sustain almost a world-class experience when people sign up for an account at Snipply. Just going back to Buffer, do you schedule you know, content three times a day or is it more than that? And then also are you sensitive to posting to certain time zones and uh, posting at a particular time? Right, yeah. So Buffer allows you to set designated times for when posts go out and you can you can stock up an inventory of posts almost in queue to go out one by one. Um, so what I, what I would recommend anyone doing is if you know there are major hubs, you know, if you have users in Europe and North America, um, be mindful of that and set these updates or these, these shares to go out during their active hours. 
if you only share in North American hours or European hours, then you potentially miss out on the rest of the world because in a different time zone, if you share something and it happens to be 5 a.m., well, by the time everyone wakes up, your update would have been drowned away by other updates already. So Buffer's given me the control to be able to send these updates at the time that I want them to go out at. And again, you can then adapt different types of content because maybe your European users uh, are looking for a different type of content or are responsive to a different type of content compared to folks in Australia or Africa. And so Buffer, Buffer gives you that control of when to send what. And then just going back to personal um, growth now, is there anything that you, you do, you know, to develop personal growth? So, you know, read a book a month or meditate or anything at all? I, I definitely did so, you know, more a couple of years ago. Uh, nowadays, I think as Snipley is growing, a lot of the day-to-day work is part of that personal growth because I'm, I'm almost required to learn to constantly grow myself in order to grow the company. So I think over time what I've seen is that personal growth and business growth has become intertwined. Um, because I have to grow myself in order to grow the company. And a lot of times that does have to do with reading, talking to people, learning from people. Um, I haven't really meditated in recent years. I've given it a shot a couple times, but I've got kind of a busy mind, which I guess is what meditation is for. But um, I find it very difficult personally. And then what advice would you give to other aspiring entrepreneurs? I would say that the most difficult and important step is the first step. Um, I I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs, both aspiring and established, and I think the main difference is almost uh, a sense of ignorance. You know, if you know how much work is required to build a company, you would probably never do it. Um, But if you're ignorant about how much work it actually takes or how much risks there is, and you just dive in and take the first step, uh, a lot of times you realize that it's it's you know you learn along the way and it's a lot easier than you than you may have expected um but i think that that fear that analysis paralysis of people thinking mm. uh you know how how am i going to start a company how, how am i ready to spend the next 5 years on this idea is this the one how do i secure funding who am i going to hire how am i going to hire all of those questions are going to paralyze you from taking the first step um, and I, I've always believed that the strongest advice you can give anyone is to hold your breath and dive in, take the first step, take things one step at a time. You don't really need to think about where your business is going to be in even one month from now if you're just starting out. It's more important you know what you're going to do the next hour and just keep doing that and it all comes together at some point. And has there been a, a mistake, that a sort of a, a standout mistake? Um, along your journey so far? And if so, what did you learn from that? Uh, There's definitely a ton of mistakes. Uh, I I don't know if there's a single standout mistakes, but I would say one of my greater learnings uh, in the earlier days is when we started hiring, um, and there's been times, you know, where uh, a good friend of mine would leave a secure job to, to join a company that I started and due to some market conditions or poor business decisions, the venture may not work out or maybe we have to lay people off. And, you know, there's a certain sense of responsibility as an entrepreneur is when people take a leap of faith on you, um, their livelihood is at stake. And that's really the critical moment where I realized that 
investing yet. It's not really about personal growth or growing the business. It's about more than that now because my daily decisions can affect the livelihood of people that I, that I care about. Um, and I think I take that a lot more seriously now. I think it's, it's fallen into almost a risk that I, I need to be aware of is, okay, I can take certain risks with my business. Uh, I can risk my own livelihood. But when I involve employees and people, friends and families, <clears throat> people that are giving up other opportunities to work at my company, uh, how does that fit into the risk equation? Am I willing to risk everyone's livelihood to make certain bold moves with the business? Um, and I think you know, I've certainly made mistakes in that area. Uh, and, but I, I think it's a work in progress. I think you're always learning. And it's it's really about bringing on a team that's aligned with the vision. You know, if you want to take a lot of risks with your company, well, be upfront with the people that are going to join your company. You know, let them know that this is going to be an all or nothing gig. And if you join the company, be ready to take some pretty crazy risks along with the rest of the culture that we've built here. Um, yeah, that, that's uh, definitely a very memorable lesson that I've picked up along the way. And you mentioned uh, briefly, you know, some of the books, you know, that you've drawn inspiration from. Um, do you draw inspiration from elsewhere, you know, be it films or music or anything else? Um, I, I actually watch a lot of documentaries as well. So they're, they're kind of like visual forms of books, I guess, especially if you're looking at biographies and such. Uh, a lot of documentaries are made of great you know, presidents, you know, um, entrepreneurs, inventors, scientists. Uh, I, I like documentaries as well because it does go pretty deep um, to a person's life story. And I think people's childhood and upbringing is, is always one of the most interesting things that I find is you, you see a person in their 40s and they're doing well, but it's less important what they're doing now and more important the decisions that they made 40 years leading up to this day, because uh, that really allows you to understand their mindset, which is what really defines their career. And understanding and absorbing that component, I think, is really important. And documentaries has, has been a big part of that. Any favorites? Um, lately, I've taken an interest in Elon Musk, um, just because everybody's talking about him these days. But, you know, everybody's talking about what he's doing right now. Um, but I think what's fascinating is, where did he come from? And I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. I would encourage everyone to look into some of these things. Um, really understand how, how are these people different when they were young and how do they see the world? And I think that's very important as well is, you know, what is their meaning of life and how do they see the world? Cause that defines, that's the frame of reference for everything that they do. Um, and in understanding how someone's able to accomplish amazing success i think it's important to first understand how are they different from everyone else um and a lot of times the findings would surprise you he's one of the many great products of south africa mike that's why <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and just to uh just to finish off uh one final question if you could master one skill what would it be um, that's a tough question. There's so many skills out there. Um, I, I would like to think that if I could master one skill, it would be really the ability to, I wouldn't say predict the future. Maybe that's a, that's a little <laughs> overpowered of a skill, but I think making predictive analysis is very important. Mm. Um, I've always believed that 
you know, the right ideas often seem to be wrong. And it's a, it's a very common notion in the startup world is, you know, you have to be contrarian where if you come up with a good idea and everybody thinks it's right, well, you're either too late or there's something wrong with it. Um, so you have to be seemingly wrong, but happens to be right. And that, that requires a lot of predictive analysis. Um, so I, I would say some, somewhere along those lines. Cool. Yeah. I like that one. Well, thanks for chatting, Mike. Um, you know, really, really liked hearing more about the Snippy story and a bit more about your background too. Um, if people want to find you, they can find you on Twitter. Your handle is... Yeah, my uh, Twitter handle is MichaelHSC, so that's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-H-S-C. Um, Snipply is also very responsive if you email me anytime at team at snip.ly, T-E-A-M at snip, S-N-I-P dot L-Y. Um, any questions about the product, we're usually super responsive. Um, and of course, to learn more about the company that we're working on right now, uh, HTTP, snip.ly, S-N-I-P dot L-Y. Cool. Awesome. And if uh, you've got any questions or you want to get in touch with me and all, uh, feel free to contact me on hello at growthfundy.com. And as always, I'll put the show notes on growthfundy.com. In the meantime, thanks again, Mike. Uh, it's been great to chat and uh, hopefully we can chat again soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We'll chat again soon. No thank worries. You. Cheers. Bye for now. Bye-bye.